0: hello and welcome to another edition of blue marble podcast thanks for tuning in i'm your host reverend char bear with circle sanctuary green faith and the climate reality project as always i want to give a big shout out to all you out there who work to honor and protect this blue marble planet with all its wonderful diversity and biodiversity i hope this podcast continues to educate and to motivate for those of you listening in Circle Sanctuary is North America's largest and most established nature-based faith organization. It's a growing network representing different eco-spirituality traditions, and it is deeply committed to eco and eco-justice as part of its mission and vision. Some of you may know this chant, which is a prayer of acknowledgement and connection, often associated with Wicca. Earth,
1: my body, water, my blood. Air, my breath, and fire, my spirit. And earth, my body, water, my blood. Air, my breath, and fire, my spirit. Earth, my body, water, my blood.
0: Air, my breath, and fire, my spirit. This episode, I'm going to honor the element of water. And as the chant says, water is our blood. Literally, water is featured in every living system on this planet. We are a blue marble planet, meaning we are mostly water. Everywhere life is happening, water is involved. Water is the source, and life springs forth from water. In our nature based practices, we know this. We revere the power and sanctity of water, we use it to cleanse to purify, to cook, to nurture, to hydrate, to irrigate, to navigate, to divine, and to heal many other things. Water is the stuff of life. It's the medium of emotions, intuition, and so much creativity. When we imagine all the water systems of our planet, there are so many. You've got ponds, lakes, great lakes, some of the sizes of seas or small oceans, creeks, streams, rivers, giant rivers, crossing continents, marshes, wetlands, swamps, underground water tables. There are 50 known seas on our planet, plus marine bays and gulfs, gulf streams carrying atmospheric water, plus five distinctly separate oceans, which are vast bodies of marine water the atlantic the pacific the arctic the indian and the southern ocean all making up one global ocean covering about 71 percent of the surface of our planet that's three quarters not to mention the great gulf streams that move water currents around the globe we may think of the hydro cycle that circulates water through the skies through bodies of water and over land Clouds, rain, sleet, snow, storms, monsoons, falling on land, filling land tables of groundwater, flushing, moving, flowing bodies of water down and on toward the sea and the oceans, over which form clouds again that move in currents or sometimes atmospheric rivers, depositing waters onto the land again. In this continuous of duration, water interacts with every other element, sustaining the conditions for all life, plant life, animal life, including human life. All ecosystems need sufficient water to thrive. All living things need water to survive. More than bones and muscles, sinew and tissue, ligament and cartilage, our human bodies consist mostly of water and, well, microbes in water. Our offspring are first held in a womb of water before being birthed. Our lymphatic systems, circulatory systems, reproductive systems, all require moving water within our bodies. All of our personal fluids, body fluids, require water. In fact, the very best skin care is drinking an abundance of water and washing in non-toxic water. It also restores our springs and our mental health and peace of mind splashing in pools soaking in hot tubs hot springs floating buoyant on our backs listening to the sound of a gentle water fountain or of rain wading in the shallows watching the surf water surrounds us and flows through us it embraces us and challenges us the deepest points on the planet are submerged in water and as yet unexplored It holds mysteries of our past, and it offers a much broader horizon for our future. To imagine a world without water, as Frank Herbert did with his iconic Dune, is to imagine a life we have never yet experienced, unless we live in places already devastated by climate catastrophe, or like the naturally occurring Sahara Desert. But even in the deep desert, there are hidden sources of water well adapted to that natural environment. All life springs forth from water and is sustained by water. In fact, to envision spring itself is to envision a verdant green land that can only happen because of water we all come from the
1: goddess and to her we shall return like a drop of rain, flowing to the ocean we all come from the goddess and to her we shall return like a drop Drop, drop of rain flowing to the ocean. We all come from the goddess, and to her we shall return like a drop of rain flowing to the ocean.
0: So water is precious, and it's so easily taken for granted. It's obvious more now than ever before that we have to respect this precious element, this life force, this immense habitat, which in the end is finite. We must cherish water, honor it, and protect it from those who use our water as an open sewer for their garbage, their plastic especially, their fossil fuel dumping And their toxic and forever chemical waste. If we kill water, we kill everything and everyone, hands down. And conversely, little revives or restores better than does water in the air, in the trees, in the grasses, in the formations of water, in any ecosystem, in our own bodies, for nothing is more interconnected than water. Sadly, 90% of today's climate disasters are water-related, from droughts to hurricanes, from flooding to, gosh, name it. And that's not because water has gone rogue and is running amok. It's because we people are allowing big polluters to trash water, basically. Trashing it by dumping garbage, chemicals, fossil fuels into it with very little regulation. Or accountability for those who feel entitled to use our waterways and systems as their personal waste dump or to buy it all up as personal property. True to so many findings, the polluters tend to do their worst and dirtiest work in vulnerable communities, poor communities, often BIPOC communities. And so water and water protection is an extremely important public health and climate justice. Crisis as well. Just this week, the Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, here in the USA, promised and proposed the strictest regulation ever of coal fired power plant wastewater being released into wider waterways. Basically, environmental toxins, which include mercury, arsenic, bromide, and chloride, as well as selenium, nickel, iodide excess nutrients, total dissolved solids, yuck. All of that can pollute drinking water and aquatic habitats. All of that is in this power plant wastewater coming from coal-fired power plants. Want a glass? This water causes cancer and other ailments in humans. It makes it harder for wildlife to reproduce. It's known to cause cognitive impairment in young children and deformities in animals. I mean, this is a flippin' horror movie. They persist, these polluters, or these chemicals, excuse me, these pollutants, they persist in the environment for years. They don't just go away. So the EPA just moved to push for America's toughest standards yet for controlling this type of pollution. It is the right thing to do. The coal industry like other large fossil fuel polluters, including petrochemicals and plastics, has benefited from lax pollution controls for decades, and it's all been protected by laws that are terribly outdated. I mean, these kinds of regulations should have happened years ago, but they have been blocked, they have been thwarted by hugely funded lobbying efforts to influence policy and to buy politicians, frankly. Let's keep it real. Name it. The now GOP-dominated House has said that it will kill these new regulations on the floor. Why, one has to ask. Follow the money. That's always the answer. This is fossil fuel polluter lobbying at work, people. And they are going to greenwash it, they're going to gaslight it to the public, but don't be fooled. As always, citizen voices and our collective effort can and does push back to challenge public officials, shining a light on polluters, holding them accountable. It is ongoing, and it is the work, frankly, all of us need to be engaged in. Otherwise, they continue to get away with it at everyone's expense. Overfishing, deep sea mining, and sonar blasting, these are other ways that influential industries are trashing our water life systems destroying the inhabitants of those ecosystems and endangering the rest of us. Um, Jessica Battle is the senior global ocean governance and policy expert. She said that overfishing and illegal fishing, habitat destruction, plastic and noise pollution in the ocean, as well as climate change impacts, um, these are all rife on the high seas, she said heavily subsidized industrial fishers seek to exploit and profit from ocean resources that by law belong to everyone. And she calls it a tragedy of the commons. So 2018 to 2028 was resolved by the United Nations to be an international decade for action on water for sustainable development on land and at sea. Here are some of the latest developments. And this is so critical because the oceans are such a major habitat for so much life. And the quality of that water habitat affects just about everything else. Just this month, a new international agreement to protect our oceans was reached. I can't say this loudly enough. This is, this is a, a first thing. This is a new thing. A new international agreement to protect our oceans was reached. Our ocean contains 97% of our planet's water. It is the principal component of the Earth's hydrosphere. It's integral to life on Earth. It acts as this huge heat reservoir. So it influences climate and weather patterns. It influences the carbon cycle and the water cycle. Currently, all kinds of international research has shown that about 10% of marine species are at risk of extinction because of unregulated human behavior on the open seas. Most especially fishing, mining, shipping, and climate change. Wasn't there just a new James Cameron movie out, Avatar 2, that kind of pointed at some of this kind of stuff, right? Yeah. The Guardian reported, it pointed out um, this month in leading up to this new treaty, it said, and I quote, Ocean ecosystems produce half the oxygen we breathe. It represents 95% of the planet's biosphere. It soaks up carbon dioxide as the world's largest carbon sink. Yet until now, fragmented and loosely enforced rules governing the high seas have rendered this area more susceptible than coastal waters to exploitation, "unquote." So this international agreement to protect the high seas is a big deal. On March 4th, 2023, the United Nations finally agreed to the language for a high seas treaty. And on that day, all the major news outlets all over the world actually reported on this development because it's the UN and it's global and it's kind of a big deal. It's a major milestone in a nearly two decades effort to secure a treaty to govern and protect the high seas. And the high seas are 70% of the ocean. Um, And that covers nearly half the planet, the high seas alone. So there's still much more work to do on this treaty because now nations uh, need to formally adopt the language in the treaty. They've got to ratify the treaty at their country level, and then they got to implement it. So there's an ongoing need for citizen advocacy to ensure that our countries who've signed on to this agreement, and the U.S. is one of them, make good on their commitments and actually follow through and implement them. Environmental groups say that the High Seas Treaty really will help reverse biodiversity losses and ensure sustainable development. Oh, my gosh, that sounds like so hopeful, doesn't it? I mean, don't you just want that? Reversing biodiversity loss, ensuring sustainable development. What is not what you would want about that? So organizations like Only One, Only One, they are partnering with Rise Up with the High Seas Alliance, with Greenpeace and more to show decision makers that people all around the world are watching. We have been watching, we are still watching, we want action to get this done, to get this completed. Because what does it mean so far about where we're at with this? Well, the Nature Conservancy reported on March 4th the following, and and I'm, I'm reading this from them. After more than a decade of negotiations, governments convening in New York City today agreed a landmark United Nations treaty on the conservation and sustainable use of the high seas. Those vast areas of open ocean that lie beyond territorial waters and collectively cover nearly half of the Earth's surface, actually over half. Formal adoption and signing of the treaty text must take place as soon as possible, which it did. And this is where our continued advocacy pressure is going to be needed at your own country level. And it goes on to say, having ended two previous rounds of high-level negotiations in deadlock, finally reaching international agreement on this long-awaited UN High Seas Treaty represents a landmark moment in humanity's relationship with the ocean. One of the most significant aspects of the new treaty is how it will enable countries to establish new marine protected areas on the high seas. These are called MPAs, marine protected areas on the high seas, which is a crucial step in helping world leaders deliver against the 30 times 30 global protection target that they enshrined in December's UN global biodiversity framework. So back in December, the UN had uh, came up with a global biodiversity framework and agreed that we had to protect 30% uh, of the ocean in order to allow biodiversity to bounce back. So the treaty is critical to achieving the global ocean conservation targets agreed to by 196 countries at COP15 and under the global biodiversity framework. So This framework commits countries to protecting and conserving at least 30% of the ocean and ensuring 30% of degraded areas that are under restoration, that that they get that completed by 2030. Now, why this matters is that historically, protected areas in the high seas beyond like territorial areas, that's only been about 1%, only 1% of the high seas. It's been protected. Boo. So, yeah. So the old saying, anything can happen on the high seas. Well, no kidding, because less than one, less than 1% has been protected. So the idea of 30% of the high seas being protected with these marine protected areas, it's a huge increase. And the treaty allows for the creation of an MPA, of, um, of uh, MPA networks, that don't just belong to one country or another, they, they go beyond national jurisdiction and they become um, overseen by an international jurisdiction. So that's essential for meeting global targets. And it means that if one political party, for example, comes into power and doesn't like or agree with the MPA that our country created, well, it can't just dismantle it because this is not a political issue or even a national issue. It's a global crisis. And it's a global effort to protect 30% of the high seas from further ecocide. So the treaty involves creating an international legally binding agreement. It will establish a conference of the parties, that will call the COP, a conference of the parties. And that will meet periodically. It will enable, enable um, all of its member states to be held accountable on issues such as governance and biodiversity. That has never been done before. So we just need to take a moment to pause and breathe and hear that that's never been done before. And we need to have that done. That sounds pretty amazing. (laughs) Another important element of the treaty is its ambition to modernize environmental impact assessments by improving standards and bringing greater consistency to the way countries measure and manage the impact of human activities on the high seas. So those are some really big positives in this treaty. The not so positive yet aspects of this treaty that definitely need improvement for real are that commercial fisheries, overfishing, shipping, or deep sea mining can for now continue to do so without having to follow the environmental impact standards laid out in the treaty. Oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) So these are talking points for your representatives. We need to immediately end or accelerate an end to these disastrous commercial activities, both within our marine borders and on the high seas. So no overfishing, no deep sea mining. No, can't do that. Just can't do that anymore. Got to stop raping and plundering the oceans, right? Um, Those are your talking points. So our advocacy is with policy and it's also consumer power here too, with business leaders. The other not at all positives about this treaty is that countries signing the agreement can opt out of creating an MPA. What? They don't have to create a marine protected area? So given the declining health of the ocean and the persistent failure of current systems to tackle the issue, these exemptions represent major loopholes. Andreas Hansen is the Nature Conservancy's uh, ocean policy lead and he said this, The new High Seas Treaty represents a significant milestone. The ocean has no time to lose, so countries must now swiftly adopt and ratify the treaty and use its power to turn words on a page into benefits for the ocean. A damaging status quo is driving the climate and biodiversity crises facing our world. Armed with the new High Seas Treaty and other key UN policy frameworks, states now have the opportunity to move beyond business as usual and into a new nature positive era for the relationship between humanity and the ocean that represents our collective life support system. Yeah, well said. Uh, Pepe Clark is the ocean's practice leader with the World Wildlife Foundation. And she says this of the new treaty. For most people, the high seas tree. The, the, excuse me. For most people, the high seas are out of sight, out of mind. But the ocean is a dynamic mosaic of habitats, and the high seas play an important role in the healthy functioning of the whole marine system. With two thirds of the ocean falling outside national waters, a high seas treaty is an essential precondition for protecting thirty percent of marine areas worldwide. And the state of the ocean affects the state of all water cycling on this planet. So as with so many of these kinds of landmark agreements, getting them ratified and implemented takes ongoing pressure from citizens, from you and me. Critical mass of public opinion, public comments make a difference. Disrupting business as usual with boycotts and other consumer actions makes a difference. With companies. In a representative democracy like ours, your voice matters in letting your elected officials and the state and national level know that you want to see all aspects of the High Seas Treaty ratified and implemented as soon as possible. So, to be involved, to know what to say, to know what to do, to join the watchdogs who are tracking the development of this and to speak out, go to only one that's um https colon slash slash only dot one help save the ocean and fix the climate you will get all the updates and ways to exercise your voice responsibly it doesn't take you a lot of time or any money and as i said only one is partnering with other major environmental groups but their focus in particular is saving the oceans and fixing the climate when you join You can choose a plan which gives you the choice to plant trees or corals, or to remove plastics or reduce carbon along with the actions you take. I've joined. I can take action on the website or in response to the email action alerts I get. And I see that about 2.5 million people are taking action daily through only one. So critical mass matters. And it's easy for me when I get up in the morning, it's part of my routine now. I'll read, I do my devotionals, and after that I do five Climate Action Now actions on the Climate Action Now app that I've downloaded, and then I go to only one or my email inbox and I take actions for the ocean. And it takes me about 15 minutes total to take action, and I feel really good about doing my part. To use my voice as a citizen of this water planet to protect our oceans and our seas, and for me, it's an act of reverence and resolve. Shifting gears now, another one of my favorite eco justice movements happening now is the rights of nature movement. Oh man, I spoke about this at the Parliament of the World's Religion a couple of years ago, and I, I continue to track this. Um, for me, it's it's best represented by the Global Alliance for the Rights of Nature. GARN, which is a global network of organizations and individuals committed to recognizing the rights of nature. And the rights of nature movement, you know, that's something that tells me we are pushing past the modern industrialized age of the past almost 400 years, the age of so much colonization and industrialization and commodification of nature, ecosystems. Animals, peoples. It's been a real struggle to get people to grasp well enough that all human beings should have equal rights. That's under attack vehemently now in this country, the USA, as matters of gender, sexual orientation, race, religion, immigrant status among us are being weaponized by conservatives to remove basic human rights and voting rights, right? It's been harder to establish that animals non-human animals, have rights at all, that they are intelligent, sentient beings, and have value not as commodities for our food, our clothing, entertainment, sport, or whatever, but that they have intrinsic value of their own, and that they have the right to live without terror or torture or murder, that they have the right to thrive in nature. That continues to be an ongoing battle for animal rights, and one that many people feel is deeply spiritual, guiding ethical behavior, Well, it's even been harder to establish in this modern civilization that nature has rights, that nature ecosystems are living and have intrinsic value, not just as resources or some commodity for human use, but for their own sake. Notice I'm saying there instead of it quite deliberately. Rights of nature. Recognizes the creative intelligence, symbiosis, synergy, and incredible value and sacredness of nature itself. How do we establish that nature has rights? Because that's a legal issue. The right to exist without plunder, pillage, pollution, ongoing exploitation, all the way to ecocide. Well, that's what the Rights of Nature movement is all about. For all of us in nature based religions, I mean, we get this. We view all nature as sacred. But when we talk about the quality of water, looking at water as an ecosystem that has a whole integrity of its own, a whole way of being that is pure without people is important. Because unless we understand water apart from us, it's hard to get people to think about it other than as a resource. And I think one of the most pathological things is the vast purchasing of aquifers by major corporations who manage to get the rights to own an entire aquifer, imagine that, thereby limiting access to water to any other living creature and people, anybody, and and then use plastic of all toxic things to bottle up that fresh water and sell it back to people in order to make billions quality of water must mean that water remains free that it is not a commodity and for once it is a commodity it is no longer a freely flowing element in nature so garn as part of the rights of nature it takes this foundational world view when i call ecocentric and it gets laws on the books That ensure ecosystems are protected under the law, that they have rights governed by jurisprudence that can hold violators accountable in courts of law. It also trains up people in BIPOC and frontline communities to create tribunals, and it trains them how to lead those tribunals, which furthers the cause of eco and climate justice. The International Tribunal for the Rights of Nature, publicizes violations of the rights of nature by corporations, allowed with the blessing of their governments. UNO creates a forum for people all around the world who speak out on behalf of nature to protest the destruction of the earth, to expose perpetrators, and to make legal recommendations on the protection and the restoration of those ecosystems. It's a model of jurisprudence for grassroots communities The tribunal also focuses on supporting indigenous peoples to raise their voices and to share the impacts they see on their territories. But it also is a space to share solutions on land for water and culture with the global community. You know, the thing that's so exciting is that the tribunal's verdicts, if they are applied at the highest level, they could provide a much needed tool in the struggle for environmental justice. The International Tribunal for the Rights of Nature, it's it's a civil ethics tribunal, and it was modeled on the International War Crimes Tribunal, you know, after World War II. And nations in general, if they take up the work it has been doing for years and defend the fundamental rights of nature, it's a game changer. So, the rights of nature movement is gaining some ground. And 2022 was a really big year for the rights of nature, which was not reported in any mainstream media, which is why I'm sharing it with you here. Here are some examples. Uh, one of the most exciting developments last year was that Chile adopted the rights of nature into its national constitution. Last year, a delegation of activists and judges went to the Amazon and submitted a detailed trailblazing report about the abuse of this greatest of rivers and its forested region. We've been watching that destruction and under Bolsonaro, it's been hard to get anything reported. So this was a a major uh, delegation of activists and judges. Um, Spain decided to recognize the legal rights of Mar Menor, right? Panama signed rights of nature into law. The Ponca nation made U.S. history when it voted to recognize the rights of rivers in their territory. Just this month in England, a district council passed a rights of river motion, acknowledging the rights of nature as a way to protect local rivers. And the river Ouse became the first river in England to be granted legal rights. So because so many of these matters are being fought and decided in courts now, brought to the courts by these kinds of tribunals, this movement is such a big deal, and it's a movement that is growing year by year. So I have to admit, I mean, that movement gives me hope because it's got some real teeth behind it. The quality of water for life depends upon international agreements enforced on policies enforced on laws that are enforced, that will hold industries in check, and that will regulate human activity. So that's what these things are doing, is they're working to get that done. Transitioning now to the UN Water Conference at the UN headquarters in New York, which is coming up March 22nd to 24th this year, which is 2023 at the time of the first airing of this podcast. Uh, GARN will have a side event at this conference because they always have you know, main plenary events on the, and then they have side events. The conference's focus, though, is all about sustainability and water's, important, uh, water's importance in sustainability development. So like I said, 2018 to 2028 was resolved by the United Nations to be this International Decade on Water for Sustainable Development. And this conference this year will be a midterm comprehensive review of how well are we doing in the middle of this decade. So in the interest of keeping it real, let's get down to it and look at that. So this International Decade of Action on Water that we are in right now It is looking at all of the growing demands placed upon water now and going forward. Water, food, and energy. If you think of that together, water, food, and energy. um, From a human perspective, water, food, and energy. That forms a nexus that affects uh, sustainability for human civilization. Uh, this This is just hard for me to fathom, but right now, The human population is swelling to 9 billion, 9 billion and growing. And uh, as water becomes more scarce and stretched, its ability to support progress is getting reduced in several of the sustainable development goals around poverty, hunger, and the environment. In 2021, the UN found that 72% of all water extracted is for agriculture, feeding people, And a lot of that water for agriculture is for animal agriculture, large factory farmed animal agriculture. Um, And that's one reason why there is a sustainability push for more plant-based diets, because they reduce the need for water, Um, especially when the projections tell us that we need to increase production of food by 50% to feed all of the people coming up. And of the 72% water use globally, about 60% is for municipalities, we mean homes and city services. And about 12% is for industry worldwide, because we keep in mind, you know, we have some very industrialized nations and some that aren't. So globally, 16% for homes and services and about 12% for industry worldwide. So the conference is looking at things like developments in water harvesting, Uh, water conservation techniques to support humans' use of water. Um, Another thing, the UN has found that the vast majority of energy generation is currently water intensive. The vast majority of energy generation is currently water intensive because it is used so much in coal-fired power plants, in nuclear reactors, and in biofuel crop production. Cracking, which is the way we extract natural gas and the way we extract other fossil fuels like coal and oil, takes a lot of water. Intense chemicals involved make that water non-potable, like forever. I mean, it completely destroys the quality of that water, like forever. Well, 90% of global power generation is water intensive right now. 90% of global power generation is water intensive right now. That's fossil fuel extracted fuel, not solar, not wind, doesn't take water. So the conference is looking at renewable energy developments that can save water. So the top four areas of concern for sustainability overall that's being tracked over this decade and reviewed this year as the midpoint are the following. one increasing renewable energy resources. Yay. Two, developing sustainable agriculture. Yay. Three, valuing the integrity and vitality of ecosystems. Yay. And four, integrating the management of water, food, and energy worldwide. For me, the really intriguing concern uh, is the third one, valuing the integrity and vitality of ecosystems yeah here the rights of nature moves kick in right working to protect ecosystems by protecting their rights under new laws valuing their integrity and vitality and they are winning governments must ally with the power of nature instead of allowing its destruction and degradation ecocide in order to get more food and energy it's you just can't keep doing that so green infrastructure includes things like runoff dams and arable fields or planting forests to protect soil, assisting groundwater recharge. These are some water issues that are considered in a greener economy. I love this guy. I really love this man, Secretary General of the UN, Antonio Guterres. He says, and I quote, the UN 2023 water conference in March must result in a bold water action agenda. That gives our world's lifeblood the commitment it deserves. Unquote. Our world's lifeblood, the commitment it deserves. Keeping it real, water is a deal maker for the sustainable development goals and for the health and prosperity of people and the planet. But our progress on water related goals and targets remains alarmingly off track, apparently. And that could jeopardize the entire sustainable development agenda. That's the midpoint evaluation here, is that it is alarmingly off track, our progress on water related goals and targets. No, 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 it's not enough. So this is the sticking point that needs our voices, folks. Get on it, move progress on water sustainability faster and more aggressively. We are not doing enough yet. And you can envision what would happen if we only do enough. It would be so terrific. So we got to get on it. These solutions that are before us have some really exciting beginnings. Promises of a possible regenerative era in which quality of water for life can be sustained. The EPA regulations in the USA against coal-fired plant wastewater dumping. Right now, tell your public officials in Congress, House and Senate, that you want to see these new EPA water regulations implemented. The High Seas Treaty, protecting our high seas, getting it ratified and implemented, go to only one and join millions of others in watchdogging how this progress is going. The rights of nature tribunals, exposing polluters, holding them accountable, taking them to court, and recommending solutions brought forward by frontline communities. Go to www.garn.org and learn more about this exciting work. The UN continuing to drive, to push countries around the world to meet their sustainability targets already agreed upon, but needing more deliberate action. Use your voice and your vote around these four areas of ecoactivism and their vital ways you can support quality of water for life yours mine and everyone's may it be so that wraps up this installment of blue marble podcast thanks so much for listening folks i'm your host shar bear if you value what you've heard here today please share this information with others New Blue Marble podcasts air live on the third Friday of every month and are available for listening anytime after they air through our channel on Blog Talk Radio. Go to www.blogtalkradio.com CSNP. Search for Blue Marble with Rev Charbert and you'll find the archive of these podcasts. Click on any you want to hear or download for later listening. You can also follow our podcasts on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash CSN podcasts. Finally, you can find a complete archive of hundreds, I mean hundreds of excellent programs by all of our fantastic podcasters on the Circle Sanctuary website at www.circlesanctuary.org under the CSNP tab. Until next time, stay true and blue, and hey, I hope to see you in the green space. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here
1: today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
0: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. (gasps)